Well, do keep your Bibles open there at John 16, and it will also be up on the uh, overhead. Uh, I have to tell you at this point that I've never had a baby myself, uh, but I was struck by how difficult it looks. Uh, As I was there when Louise had our first son, Sam, I can tell you it looked painful. Uh, It looked like hard work, and I guess there's a good reason why they call it labour. But once he was born... Louise was elated, I was elated, everyone was elated. Everything she'd been through was worth it. Now I share this with you not simply because I like sharing stories as much as I like doing that, but because Jesus uses this same picture to help us, to help first his first disciples understand the enormity of what was happening and to help us today to understand the enormity of what has happened. As Jesus says to his disciples in verse 22, uh, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. But when we read John 16, we can empathise with their grief. We too can share in their joy, where Jesus offers it to us so that it may be our joy as well. Joy in him, joy in what he's done. Joy in having a relationship with the one God where we were his enemies. Joy in knowing the God who reveals himself as Father, Son and Spirit. Three persons at the same time in the one God. Now, we've been working through John's Gospel together as a church. We read John 1 to 11 uh, last year and chapters 12 to 15 earlier this year. Today, we're going to begin the final section of John. It's actually just a continuation of 12 to 15. We had a break for Mission Week and for Easter. But I'm really glad that the split fell here, beginning in chapter 16 today for the next six weeks, because it picks up what has been the backbone of John's gospel. What is that backbone? It's Jesus coming and his going. Even if you weren't here, let me give you a a quick introduction or recap where right from the beginning of John, uh, John emphasises Jesus' coming. And so we read in 1 verse 9, the true light, that is Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In fact, uh, well, let me say, God took on human flesh in the Lord Jesus and he lived among us. In fact, Jesus himself keeps making a big deal of his coming. So you can take chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Or chapter 6, verse 57, talking about the Father sending the Son, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread, he's talking about himself, that comes down from heaven. There has never been a coming like this one. And then remember, of course, Jesus, once he was here, demonstrated by his signs and teaching that he was God's ruler, God's king, if not God himself. And and don't forget, into the bargain, he's in no less than Jerusalem, the royal city, uh, God's 
city, the king's city. But now after he said uh, that and all has been said and done, what does Jesus say now that he's here? Now the time has come when he must go. And the disciples are like, ah, brain explosion. Uh, what is he talking about? And it's not what we'd expect, nor what we'd plan. What leader ever arrives at the capital to take up their rule of government only in the next breath to leave? We couldn't imagine, you know, a Joe Biden or a Scott Morrison doing what Jesus appears to do here. You only need to look at the disciples' reaction to get that. And so, as if his coming wasn't big enough a deal... It's Jesus going that is just as striking in John. Of course, he's talking here about his death on the cross. The very next day, dying as a sacrifice in our place, dying so all who believe in him may have eternal life, so that we may have true life, may have a relationship with God. We'll come back to that in a minute, but we live on this side of the cross. Imagine them there, how devastated they were on the other side of it. Pick it up with me from verse 5 as we read Jesus' words. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Right when things looked set to bring in the dawn of God's new and powerful kingdom, their leader pulls the plug and he's leaving them. And they're so devastated, in fact, it appears that they're more consumed by the effect of Jesus' departure on themselves than anything it will mean for him. But that doesn't stop Jesus. And clearly he's... Uh, preparing his disciples then just as he's giving us insight today we know and we've just celebrated at Easter haven't we that his death won't be his undoing uh, it's like one of those movies you know have you ever seen one where they put it together so you see the ending at the beginning and then the rest of the movie is how we got there well, for us, that's what it's like reading John 16. We know his death won't be his undoing, that he is the first person in history to rise from the dead, never to die again. But of course, it's not just something that happens in isolation. It has incredible uh, outflowing ramifications. This chapter, as with the ones either side of it, is here to help us see that and to rejoice in that so that our grief may turn to joy. Where just like Jesus' coming is like no other, it is for our good that Jesus goes away. What it means uh, for us is here in two parts. The first focuses on the coming of the Holy Spirit and the second on the new relationship we can have with the Father. The first effect of Jesus going will be the sending of the Holy Spirit. We read this in verse 7. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, 
I will send him to you. Clearly in God's plan, Jesus has to depart before the Holy Spirit will come. Uh, As we were reminded back in chapter 14, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the reason he's called the advocate is because he stands alongside us uh, like a legal counsel advocating for our interests. Here though, the picture is a bit different to start with. Here, part of the work, his work is toward the world around us and he acts more like a prosecutor laying out the case against all who revolt against God. And so we read in verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, here's one of two extraordinary things that the Spirit of God does, has been doing since Jesus went to be with his Father, is still doing today. He's turning on the light and exposing the darkness of human hearts. It's like a searchlight combing the perimeter of a prison wall for people trying to escape, convicting us of guilt once his light falls on us, whichever way we respond. And for some of us, our response will be to come out of the darkness and walk in the light. And for others, it will be to cling to the darkness despite the light. That's the first half of the Spirit's work here written in John 16. The other half... We read from verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will, speak, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said... The Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus could have just downloaded what he wanted to say to the disciples here and now, but he's got the measure of where they're at and they're devastated by grief. Nonetheless, Jesus puts everything in place that they'll need when the time comes. Now isn't the time, but that time is just around the corner. Remember in chapter 15 where he told them they would tell the world about him and be hated for it? Well, he doesn't leave them alone with that news. They wouldn't have to go it alone. Jesus gives them the spirit who would testify about him through them. So too here. The Spirit will remind them of all they need to know once he goes. And he can because he doesn't bring something different from Jesus. He brings them the knowledge of Jesus from Jesus himself. Who knows Jesus better than Jesus himself? And so do you see what's going on here? Here is God telling us what he's like. He's Father and Son and Spirit. And the Father shares what's His with the Son. And the Spirit draws on what's the Son so we can know God in all His glory. And as we live the other side of Jesus, it's no accident that we're reading these words to know God ourselves. 
where those who were there the night this night with Jesus not only received the spirit of God and were reminded of all that Jesus wanted them to know but couldn't share here they wrote it down in John's gospel they wrote it down in the other books that are now part of our Bible and so this isn't a book about God it's a book from God in order to glorify God and at the same time allow us to know God what a privilege that we can hold it in our hands and so those as those first disciples were guided into all truth through the words of the bible god's word so are we and we can make sense of it and know god because the same spirit who brought these words to them interprets them for us today so we may glorify god and know god ourselves we have an incredible privilege we live in the age of the spirit an age in which god is convicting the world of guilt and at the same time it is an age which he has given us where he has given us everything we need to know that jesus wanted us to have so we would know him and all about him now the thing too here is it's not just jesus promise it's not jesus promising new information after he goes the spirit doesn't do new information sure he makes sense of what was about to happen via the cross in a way that the disciples clearly didn't get here i take it that's jesus reference uh, to the spirit telling them what is yet to come but the spirit of god is boring just watching for the lightning there Uh, what i mean is he keeps harking back to the same old same old Jesus as Lord sent from the Father. That sort of boring, we can stomach any day. Here then is the testimony of the Spirit. Here is all truth that we need to know of God, which means we must read it, uh, listen to it, mark what it says. We must learn what it says, reflect on what it says, and do what it says. And I know uh, it's commonly held belief that if preachers can't work out how to apply a passage, it so often comes out as read your Bible more or pray more or go to church more. Uh, But that is not what has happened today. The Bible is no ordinary book. Because no other book is the tool of the Spirit to achieve all this in us. But if we hold it and its words at arm's length, aren't we holding God at arm's length? Hedging ourselves from his penetrating Spirit and limiting the extent to which we may see the glory of God. Read it listen to it mark what it says learn what it says reflect on what it says and act on what it says left to ourselves we couldn't have imagined how great god's plans could be 
how in fact Jesus' going is as great as his coming. And it opens the doors, his going that is, opens the doors for God's spirit to come and extend the work of the Son and the Father. And it's to that link we now turn, the link to the Father, because the other consequence of Jesus' going in this chapter is that it it inaugurates the new relationship we can have with God the Father. That opens up uh, from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. But here's a bit of a hurdle to pass over before that becomes clear. It's thrown up by what Jesus says in verse 16. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So you can imagine the disciples at this point scratching their heads and whispering to one another, uh, and wouldn't you too if you'd been there, uh, what's he talking about? I don't know. Is it a riddle? Is it a test? But thankfully, Jesus puts his finger on it. And of course, with the benefit of 2020 uh, hindsight vision, it doesn't seem so out there to us either. Verse 20 I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's talking, of course, again. In the same way about his death on the cross, troubled now, his disciples will witness his crucifixion the very next day and with it their hopes for God's kingdom dash. The world will rejoice at its apparent victory. But it is not the end. Jesus' coming would be for nothing if he didn't go and go by way of the cross. On this night, the disciples stood on one side of the cross. After Jesus' resurrection, they would stand on the other and we with them. From that time on, Jesus tells us, we can have a new relationship with God the Father. Without God's intervention, there is a divide between God and us, sin and its judgment. But Jesus tears it down. And now we can enjoy direct access to God the Father. So ask him, he says. Ask him for what you want and he'll give it to you, verse 23. He's talking, of course, about the gift of prayer. The disciples hadn't asked for anything up till now because they hadn't understood Jesus' role, his authority or the full extent of his relationship with the Father. But soon they would, as we do now. So we can hear from him and we can respond to him. And here's God's response to us, verse 27, the Father. The Father, we're told, loves us because of our response to the Lord Jesus. Face to face with the world, uh, with the word and works of Jesus, we've trusted him, loved him, as Jesus says in verse 27, believed that he came from the Father. That's the response God expects from us. And by the Spirit at work in us, we no longer reject Jesus as the world does. And so as we draw near to the end of chapter 16, Jesus sums up this backbone of not just this chapter, but of the whole of John's Gospel in these short words from verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. 
for those first disciples spending this last night with Jesus. At this point, we're told the lights come on. They will witness the climax of the promises of God and of all salvation history, in fact. In his last words, Jesus tells us why he's told them all this. As we read from verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace and trouble. Uh, They don't go together, do they? We don't want trouble. And so it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Trouble we've heard about before, trouble for those who follow Jesus because the world hates Jesus and so it'll hate his followers as well. But peace? Well, what does he tell us? With his going, we have access to the Father. Isn't the divide between God and us and it torn down for all who believe in Jesus the peace that we actually all need? Even if we don't experience peace for a short time, if life is troubled now, And surely, if God has that under control, our relationship with the Father, he has all the rest as well. The thing that strikes me when I read these words from John and other parts of the Bible is, we don't have a Lord who lines himself up to our expectations of leadership, our expectations of ruling even our expectations of God. But he came into the world to transform those expectations and to transform us. And as we've been reminded today, by his going, he has given us his spirit, his word, he has given us all that we need to know so that we may fulfill our responsibility to stick with him to the end. The upshot of that is we can have lasting and incredible and true joy. The joy that comes from knowing God the Father the way he always intended. The joy that comes from the extraordinary events of the cross of Jesus. The joy that comes from having God's Spirit at work in us. And so may we thank God for Jesus' coming and his going. And may this be our joy as we live in this life, as we look forward to eternal life to come. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we see again, we've been reminded again today of your great works in the world, of Jesus' coming and his going. Deepen our understanding, we pray. Deepen our love for you and appreciation of all that he has done that we may have this life with you in which we rejoice. As the Spirit continues to work in us, we pray, as we trust in your Son, help us to see what is going on around us and the experiences we have, even the troubles we face, 
in light of the future that these troubles will be taken away, in light of the present that we truly know peace with you already. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.